Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our series of questions with a question you asked. Why are the Israelites God's chosen people and other people are not? Let's listen. As I mentioned earlier, we will cover one question per week that has come from the congregation. And so today's question is, is God not also the God of the Midians? Why are the Israelites his people and others aren't? It's a good question, isn't it? A challenging one, I think, for us to answer. Uh, We need to consider, why did God choose Israel to be God's people, and what exactly does that chosenness mean anyway? Well, let's start here. As we begin to really dig into this, let's say this off the bat. God could have chosen any nation to be God's people, right? There was nothing inherently better in Israel than they would have been in Midian or Egypt or any other country in the world. It was an act of grace that God chose Abraham and chose Abraham's descendants to be God's people, grace and grace alone. And so God God could have chosen anybody, but God chose the Israelites. So our next follow-up question might be, why choose anyone? In the act of choosing, doesn't that necessarily then exclude others who God did not choose? It's that question that I really want to hone in on today. I want to do a little bit more exploration. And for that, we're going to have to do a survey of the Bible. We're going to do a survey from the beginnings of the Old Testament, really throughout that story up until the New. Because what you're going to find when you do a survey of the Bible is that God chooses to tell the redemption story by going from the particular to the universal. So what you're going to see is that when we start in Genesis, God starts with a particular person, Abraham, and then a particular group of people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. But then God doesn't stop there. God ends up going to the universal, meaning to include everybody on the whole globe in this story of redemption. And God, I think, chose to do it in that particular way for good reason. But for that reason, we need to really study this morning and figure that out. So that's where we're headed in our discussion today. So we begin with the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And not Genesis chapter 1, but Genesis chapter 12. Because that's where God plucks Abraham out of obscurity and makes a series of promises to Abraham and to his eventual descendants. Here's what God says. God says, I will make you into a great nation, which God does, right? That becomes the nation of Israel. And I will bless you, God says. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You can sense it already. We're going from the particular, Abraham, to the universal, all peoples on earth. But we begin with Abraham. And so if you were to read the whole Old Testament in one sitting, what you would find 
is that it starts with Abraham's descendants as they begin to learn how God is going to be their God. How is God going to form them as a people to eventually bless then the rest of the world? And that's really, that's the book of Genesis, is you have what we call the patriarchs. It's Abraham and then his son, Isaac, and their stories, and then his son, Jacob, and his son, Joseph. And in each generation, God reaffirms the promise, reaffirms the covenant with them to say, yes, you're going to be my people, and you have a purpose, and your purpose is through you, I'm going to bless everybody else. So that's really the story of Genesis, is you're following this, the family, the family story and the family traditions of those four patriarchs. But then the redemption story, it takes a little bit of a road bump, doesn't it, in Exodus? Because all of a sudden in Exodus, the descendants of Joseph have become enslaved. And we're told that for 400 years, they are enslaved in Egypt. Of course, many of us know this story. God decides to liberate his people, to free them from slavery. And after 400 years, we were told that when they left, there were 600,000 men who were liberated, not counting women and children. So this is how large the nation has gotten in the second book of the Bible. God takes that group of people and he brings them directly from being liberated from slavery to the foot of Mount Sinai. And it's at that mountain, what they call the mountain of God, that God begins to form them as a people. He begins to give them laws and says, this is who you are to be. He changes their identity. That's where God gives them the Ten Commandments, basically saying, you are now going to be my people. And as my people, this is how you are to live. So he's forming a nation. And it's at the foot of the mountain that through Moses, God says this to his people. In Exodus chapter 19, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yes, God chose them. And God chose them for a reason, a purpose to set them apart. They are to be a kingdom of priests, we are told. They are to be a holy nation. Translation, God wants them to be an example to the rest of the world. Yes, he set them apart so that other people could look at them and go, oh, that's what it's like for an entire nation to have a, a relationship with God and to follow God, to learn from God, and to follow God's laws. Yes, there at the foot of Mount Sinai, God set them apart as a holy nation so that they could be God's representatives on earth. That was the plan. But if you continue reading the story of the Old Testament, you know what happens. They failed in that plan. 
They were not able to be the example that God wanted them to be for the world. That's the truly devastating part of the Old Testament, is really the the majority of it, right there in the middle, is about their efforts to be this holy nation and their failure in those efforts. They end up worshiping other gods and idols. They discriminate against other nations and openly declare war on them. They fail to be that example that God asked them to be. Now, we cannot be too hard on Israel, because really, if any one of us were in their shoes, we would have failed to. I mean, their story is really the story of human nature. Really, in many ways, Israel represents all of us, and where they failed, yeah, we would have as well. Well, if you read on to 2 Kings, they give some examples of the way that they failed to be God's representatives. 2 Kings chapter 17 says, they, meaning Israel, they followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. And so the people of Israel were supposed to be this nation set apart, be the example for the world, but they ended up following the example of those nations around them. It made me wonder, how often do we still do this? I mean, we are, as Christians, to be God's example to the world. But how often, instead of following God's example, do we end up just imitating the world around us? I say again, Israel's story is our story. In many ways, they represent all of us. If you continue to read 2 Kings, you get to some of the specifics of the way that they drifted away from God's call on their life. We go on, it says, They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God. So all those commands that God gave them at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments and all the rest, they rejected those and made two calves from metal. So they made their own idols. They set up an Asherah pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Yes, the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. It's a depressing part of the Old Testament. Because you have God's people, this holy nation, this chosen people to be set apart, and they are making their own gods out of stone and metal. They, instead of going to God for guidance, they went to fortune tellers for guidance. They were so desperate that they even sacrificed their own children to these gods that they created. This is how far they strayed from God. And so what happened? What happened to Israel? Well, God allowed then the nations around them to come in and conquer them. If you continue reading about three-fourths of the way through the Old Testament, what you find then is that they become conquered. And what they call this period of time is the exile, because they are exiled from God's presence. It's at that moment that they've come full circle. 
Because remember, in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, they were slaves in Egypt. But then by the time you get near the end of the Old Testament, they are once again enslaved to the countries around them. We have come full circle in their journey. Which then makes us ask, well, so what then? I mean, didn't God promise to bless the whole world through them? I mean, that was Genesis chapter 12, right? That God made those promises. And so what happens with Israel? Did God just give up on them and give up on the promises? Well, that's why the prophets are so important. Now, I get it. There's a lot of them, and we often kind of skim past them. Uh, they're very lengthy, but you've got the prophets in the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the others, and their purpose, their job was to tell the exiled nation of Israel, this is what happens next, that your story is not done, that God is going to continue to work in you, but it's going to look different from how you expected. Here's an example. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people. When God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, which is another uh, way to refer to Israel, and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That word Gentile simply means anyone who's not Jewish. So everyone else besides God's people. And that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God planned to restore his people. God planned to restore the nation of Israel, but not just for Israel's sake, but for the salvation of the whole world. See, we're going from particular to universal. Yes, over and over again, if you read the prophets, the prophets speak about what God is going to do to repair and restore the relationship between God and God's people and between God and the world. So if Israel really does represent all of us, well then how often do our lives follow the same pattern where God calls us to be examples to the world, but we end up imitating the world and, and not living up to that call. But instead of God shunning us or getting mad at us, God seeks to restore us and to restore the relationship with us. And that takes us to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Malachi, the prophet Malachi, is the very last book in the Old Testament. And so you have these words of, of the prophet saying, restoration. That's what comes next. Restoration for you and restoration for the whole world. And then there's nothing. There's years and decades and generations of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in those years of silence, we wonder, okay, how? How is God finally going to do this? How is God finally going to use God's people to redeem and restore the entire world? Well, for that, you have to then close the book of the Old Testament and open the books of the New Testament. And in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, you have these words. When Matthew says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes and he tells you the entire genealogy, which if you don't know the entire story before, you'd probably skip that going, well, why is a genealogy in here? But it's because Matthew's making a point. Matthew's making a point that that promise that God made in the very first book of the Bible, that promise is now finally being fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus can trace his lineage all the way back through King David, all the way back to Abraham. Yes, God is finally going to restore and bless the entire world through one of Abraham's descendants, and that's Jesus. Isaiah pointed to this moment when saying salvation is going to come to the ends of the earth. Abraham pointed to this moment when Abraham said, yes, one day the whole world is going to be blessed through this line. And that's exactly what God has done through Jesus. If you read the New Testament, that becomes the story. It becomes the story of, well, how? How is God doing this new thing through Jesus Christ? Which means that when you read the Old Testament, well, there will be times when you read it and go, I don't know if this quite makes sense. And you say, I'm reading this part of the story, but it seems like it's not the story that I know. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Old Testament is always pointing ahead of itself. The Old Testament is always pointing to ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so every time you read it, you need to read it with ultimate fulfillment in mind, where you know what is yet to come. I mean, there are points where you'll read things in the Old Testament, and you say, I'm not getting the whole story here. And that's because you're not getting the whole story. It is incomplete without the fulfillment of Jesus of which it points to. It's the Bible is this redemption story that goes from particular to universal, where God started with this particular group of people, the Israelites, and then expanded to include all people on earth. So now, to be one of God's people, it doesn't depend on your lineage or who your parents were, or if you could trace yourself all the way back to Abraham. No, to be a person of God simply means to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Paul puts it in this way in his letter to the Galatians. When Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham, meaning faith in Jesus. Those who now have faith in Jesus can consider themselves children of Abraham and children of the promise that was made in Genesis chapter 12. That's a big statement for Paul to make. It would have been unthinkable for many faithful Jews in that time period, but because of Jesus, the unthinkable became a reality. And it wasn't just Paul. All of the people in the New Testament were grappling with how did Jesus complete the story. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, talks about this, where he looks at the church, and he, he says, church, this is what you are to be. And I want you to notice the particular words that he uses to describe the church. Peter says, church, you are a chosen people, 
Where have you heard that before? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's amazing that Peter uses the very same words that Moses used to describe Israel in the book of Exodus when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. And so we see what he's doing. He's expanded the definition of what it means to be God's people. And that definition now includes all who choose to follow Jesus, all who openly profess a faith in Jesus, all are now God's people. From particular to universal. You know, God started with one group of people who became one nation and through them has now blessed all people on earth. Let's revisit our original question. The original question was, is God not also the God of the Midians? Why are the Israelites his people and others aren't? Well, based on what we know now from doing this survey of really the Bible, we can say that, yes, God is the God of the Midians and of every other race and ethnicity on earth. God is the God of the whole world. But for the beginning of the story, God chose one particular group of people to be a nation set apart, to be example for the rest of the nations. And they failed in that. But in their failure, God chose to restore their relationship and ultimately redeem the entire world through one of their descendants, Jesus. Now all who profess faith in Jesus are to be this holy nation, set apart for the purposes of God and to be an example for the world. Well, that's how the New Testament closes. But it doesn't end there because Peter's words are for us today as well. We are the church. We are a people set apart. We are to be an example for the rest of the world. And so, yes, this story that began in Genesis continues in you. Until Christ comes again, we get to be this holy people who are seeking to live our lives in such a way that the rest of the world takes notice. And so, Unity Presbyterian, the encouragement from these scriptures today is to be set apart, to be an example of God's wonderful love in this world. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.